Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, Paul Allen was diagnosed with cancer this week. We're going to closely examine the billionaire co-founder of Microsoft and one of the few people who own multiple major league sports franchises. He owns the NBA's Portland Trailblazers, NFL Seattle Seahawks, and is part owner of the MLS Sounders. We'll also look back at my conversation with the reclusive billionaire from 2007. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, Larry Williams, the athletic director at the University of Portland. Nathan Roach and Bobby Corser had a chance to catch up with him this week. Nathan attended the University of Portland, was a tennis player there, a star, derailed. But uh, that's going to take place in segment four. A couple of other notes, visit my Sports Business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, become our Facebook friend, or follow me via Twitter. Visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. My Twitter handle, at SB Radio. I'm joined in studio by Bobby Corser, our producer, and Nathan Roach. Nathan, uh, University of Portland. They try and compete with the big boys. They don't have nearly the budget, but, uh, you know, from their soccer team to some of their other sports, they've done a pretty good job. Yeah, they've done fantastic. And, you know, we want to catch up with Larry, and we're going to talk to him about sponsorship deals and how a small school like University of Portland competes with schools like North Carolina in soccer and and how they get sponsorship deals and TV deals. I mean, the University of Portland soccer team has been in the top five this season, so they've been fantastic. Pacquiao Cotto enormous pay-per-view numbers from their battle last weekend. I don't know if you saw that fight, but rounds two, three, and four, as good as any fight you'll ever see. And now the red carpet is laid out for Pacquiao Mayweather Jr. That would probably break all kinds of pay-per-view numbers. We'll talk about that in headlines. Also, a lot of chatter this week. Is Charlie Weiss on his way out at Notre Dame? If so enormous dollars at stake to get him out of there and then to pay to a new coach. We'll tell you about that. That's coming up next in Headlines. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the Pac-Man, Manny Pacquiao, defeated Miguel Cotto last Saturday night in Las Vegas. The fight did 1.5 million pay-per-views, grossed $82.4 million, making it one of the most lucrative pay-per-view boxing matches ever. Now, Mayweather, De La Hoya, you may recall, did 2.4 million pay-per-view buys. That's the all-time record. So now, if Pacquiao and Mayweather Jr. fight, it could be the highest-grossing fight of all time. Pacquiao took home $13 million before his pay-per-view share, so that number could move up to about $20 million. Cotto took home $7 million, not counting his cut of the pay-per-view money. Nathan, you know, we've talked previously, boxing is taking a back seat to MMA, UFC, but this fight showed that if you put the right two boxers together, and there aren't many of them anymore that are household names, you can do big numbers. Cotto, not a household name, but anyone fighting Pacquiao brings in pay-per-view buys, and I'll tell you what, it was a heck of a fight. Well, yeah, and I think like you mentioned in segment one, if you get Pacquiao against Mayweather, you're going to have an epic fight that'll, I think that'll produce more money than we've ever seen in boxing and, and launch it back into the MMA status, if you will. Well, and boxing needs this fight. So, uh, you know, if you're in the Pacquiao camp, if you're in the Mayweather Jr. camp, if you're promoters, if you're Bob Arum, if you're... Uh, Golden Boy Promotions, you need to get this fight signed. Cut it 50-50 down the middle, make it winner-take-all, but let's get it done and let's get these guys in the ring because that's what boxing needs. Our next headline, my favorite headline of the week, one of my favorite headlines of the year 2009. The NFL fined Tennessee Titans owner Bud Adams $250,000 for obscene gestures he made during last Sunday's game against the Buffalo Bills at LP Field. Despite an apology from the 86-year-old Adams, the NFL punished him for conduct detrimental to the league. Nathan, as if it's not astounding enough that an 86-year-old owner is up in his private box flipping the bird across the field to the opposing team. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell was his guest in his private box earlier in the game. He wasn't in there as Bud was unleashing his dirty birds on on the Bills. (laughs) But, I mean, this is just a hysterical story. And you wonder, you know, we talk about Al Davis. He's not all there anymore. I wonder if uh, Bud Adams is drinking some of the same Kool-Aid. Well, I don't know. $250,000 seems like a ridiculous amount to give this guy for flipping the bird. But, uh, you know, Goodell had to make a statement, and it's ironic that the statement he made was against the guy that he was a guest of. Yeah, and the other message I think Roger Goodell is trying to send here is you hear players complain all the time, oh, I was fined $50,000, I was fined $75,000. This is basically saying, look, players, you're fined, but you're not fined anything compared to the owner, so next time I find you, don't complain because an owner was fined $250,000, so shut up. Yeah, I mean, this is on Mark Cuban's level of fines and status here. At 86 years old. Love, I love it, frankly. This is ridiculous, but I love it. Yeah, we'll see if uh, Bud Adams learned his lesson, or maybe he'll uh, be mooning someone before season's <laughs> end. Our next headline, 
BCS Administrator Bill Hancock this week was named the organization's first ever executive director. This according to Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com. Hancock in his new role is going to manage the daily operations of the BCS, interact with bowl organizations and TV rights holders, and serve as the organization's primary spokesperson. Now, Hancock became the first ever NCAA Final Four director in 1989. That's a job he held for 13 years. Let me tell you what. There's a lot of jobs in sports, and I've seen jobs like lists of the jobs you don't want in sports. I would put this at the top of that list. Basically, if you recall... We've had Michael Slide, the commissioner of the SEC, on this show before. He was the BCS commissioner. Right now, a guy named John Swarford, who is the ACC commissioner, is the BCS commissioner. He has that till his two-year term is up January 7th. Now, basically, these commissioners have said, I don't want this job anymore. I don't want all the pressure of having to hear about how screwed up the BCS is. Let's hire Bill Hancock. Now, Bill Hancock, good guy, but... Holy cow, I would not want this job at all. I I wouldn't even want to be an administrative assistant for the BCS at this point in time. I mean, as much flack as these guys get in grief, there's got to be a lot of money involved in this. And eventually, eventually one of these executive directors is going to have to make the decision or come to grips with the fact that there's going to be a playoff system. Because I believe in the next couple years, maybe not couple, but in the future there will be a playoff system in the NCAA, and I don't want to be the guy in charge of the BCS when that happens. Well, unless there's a sea change amongst university presidents, it's not going to happen anytime soon. I would love to see a playoff. I've said that many times on this show. I just don't see it happening anytime soon. And Bill Hancock is now going to be the front man for the BCS people. He's going to be a yes man. Well, he's certainly qualified for the position. Sure, but he's a yes man. He's not going to come in and rock the boat. He's working for the BCS commissioners and the university president, so... We'll see how this goes, but I would not want to be Bill Hancock after this week. Our next headline, all signs point to Notre Dame firing head football coach Charlie Weiss and making a move in the near future, but keep this in mind as you see this transition take place. Charlie Weiss, after coaching only seven games at Notre Dame, they signed him to a 10-year extension. This is back in 2005. The extension was believed to be worth... 30 to $40 million, taking him all the way through the 2015 season. Probably one of the worst contracts of all time to give a guy a 10-year extension after only seven games. So now, if Notre Dame wants to get rid of Charlie Weiss, they've got to buy him out for $18 million. So you got to buy him out at $18 million, and then if you're going to bring in probably a high-profile coach, or someone who's going to have a lot of scrutiny and pressure placed on them, you're going to have to pay that coach a lot of money. This is going to be an enormous expense for Notre Dame. Now, some people would argue, look, if they get the right coach, if they get back amongst their winning ways, it's going to mean a lot of money to their football program and their university. But I think a lot of people don't pull back the curtain and see the numbers that are involved in making this change. Well, especially with all the whispers going around about Urban Meyer coming in and being the next Notre Dame head coach, which he's not going to be cheap either. No, I don't think Urban Meyer is going to go to Notre Dame. I don't think he will either, but certainly if you bring in a coach of that caliber, that's that's the kind of money you're going to have to offer a right. guy like that. Look, let me just say this as it is. Notre Dame is not it's not a plum job anymore. I don't think it's a top 10 job anymore. It's in the Midwest. It's very cold. It's hard to get students to come there. 
and be cold and be in the middle of nowhere. Oh, I disagree and, with that. Students the, go to Notre Dame. Then the other thing is, is they have strict academic standards. So when you're competing against the Floridas and the Florida States and some of these other sunny schools and the SEC schools, I just don't think it's a top 10 job anymore. It used to be back in the day, but I think times have changed. Our last headline of the week, the NFL has formed a player advisory forum spearheaded by NBC's Tony Dungy, former coach of the Colts. It's designed to include players' opinions and perspectives on various NFL issues. Dungy's title will be special advisor to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. You may recall John Madden is also a special advisor. Broncos safety Brian Dawkins, Ravens linebacker Ray Lewis, and Cardinals quarterback Kurt Warner have been enlisted to help arrange and execute meetings for the forum, which grew from the Player Advisory Council that Roger Goodell and the NFL Players Association implemented in 2006. Coming up next, Paul Allen, owner of the Blazers, the Seahawks, and the Sounders, diagnosed with cancer this week. It's his second time he's battled cancer. He beat it 25 years ago. He's got an impressive portfolio of sports teams. We'll talk about how his diagnosis this week could impact those different lines. And then also, we'll look back on my conversation with Paul Allen from 2007. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back. Sad news this week. Paul Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft, one of the wealthiest people in the world, a multi-billionaire, also, as it relates to sports, the owner of the NBA's Portland Trailblazers, the NFL Seattle Seahawks, and the MLS Seattle Sounders was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a form of cancer. Now, Paul Allen beat this 25 years ago, but it's back, and Paul Allen is older now. He's 56 years old. He had heart problems last year, and it'll be interesting to see how this impacts his portfolio. Paul Allen has hired very good people with his sports organizations. Todd Lewicki is the head of Vulcan Sports and Entertainment. And, you know, he's got a number of good people in different positions that will be able to, I'm sure, uh, sustain as Paul Allen battles cancer. But, uh, you know, there aren't too many people that own multiple major league sports franchises. And Paul Allen, you may or may not realize, is the wealthiest owner in all of sports, in major league sports. 
So, you know, this is definitely news that you sit up and, and take notice of. I had a chance to catch up with Paul Allen back in 2007, and I used to work for Paul Allen. I worked for the Portland Trailblazers from 1992 to 1998. And here's a guy that is a brilliant man, obviously, but pretty reclusive. But the one thing you can say about him is everything he's invested in has been a passion of his, whether it's space exploration, whether it's the Paul Allen Brain Institute, whether it's the music experience in Seattle, um, all kinds of things that he's invested in, but they've all been passion plays, as you may say. So let's keep our eyes on this story, and we will do that very closely. Obviously, we're based here in Portland, Oregon, so this is big news here. But again, this is a man who is the wealthiest owner in all of sports. And again, back in 2007, right before the Blazers drafted Greg Oden, I had a chance to catch up with Paul Allen, and here's that conversation. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. A lot of versions of the story of how you bought the Trailblazers back in 1988 from Larry Weinberg. I've never heard the true story. Can you take us back to 1988? I'm sure it was an exciting time and how you came to acquire the Blazers. Uh, well, I was on the, the board of a software distribution company, and uh, it was uh, around the time that the uh, the Sonics won the NBA championship, and so I became a fan of the, the Sonics, and um, I think I was probably talking about how much I loved NBA basketball to, to another board member, and he said, well, I, I think that the uh, the current owner of the Trailblazers might be interested in selling. Um, so we got in touch, and it was a long, that was a long negotiation. I think it was over... Uh, at least over a six-month period, uh, and even involved in looking at an, an X-ray of uh, Sam Bowie's uh, leg, which had a bunch of screws in it, because uh, we had to decide whether we were going to keep uh, Sam as a member of, or if the previous ownership was going to was going to resolve his uh, contract issues and, and let him go. So that was a that was a long process, but I was so incredibly uh, excited to be an NBA owner. And then, fortuitously, through uh, through our draft back to, uh, back then, we got Buck Williams added to our nucleus of, of Clyde Drexler and Terry Potter, Jerome Kersey, Kevin Duckworth. Anyway, it all we ended up, uh, you know, Buck became the power forward of that team, and then we were off to the races and ended up being in the finals twice. So that was that was an exciting time for me. A lot of success, a lot of excitement, and then in 1997, you became one of the the rare people out there that owned two professional sports teams. Uh, you bought the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, really, a lot of people think you saved football in Seattle. Talk about owning two sports teams. Well, uh, you know, it's it's. The leagues, um, the way the leagues function and the, the games are obviously are, are there similarities and different differences. Um, I think what's being an owner of a franchise in any city is if uh, you have some success and the whole city gets behind the team and 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 you and you end up going to the the championship. And I've been fortunate to have that happen twice here in in Portland and once in Seattle. And what an unbelievable uh feeling that is um you know both for the the players and, and for all the fans and for the city itself so uh that's been really rewarding for me it, it's true that you know i was asked by some political uh people and and uh and and people in the community up in seattle to, to look at owning the at the seahawks we went through a process we were able to have a, a referendum to get a new stadium built uh that all worked out and uh it's 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 really been exciting to be involved with two franchises 
Do you have any desire to be involved with another franchise, uh, maybe soccer in Europe or anything along those lines? Well, I mean, if you, if you combine the number of, of NBA games and, and, and football games, you're, you're approaching, you're approaching uh, you know, you're, with playoff games in there, you're approaching 100 games a year. That's plenty for me. And there's been some kind of unusual uh, rumors out there. I've, I've looked at soccer teams, but I, but, uh, I haven't. I haven't looked at a single uh, soccer team, so there's no truth to those rumors. You know, you've really done an amazing job of assembling uh, an impressive staff, not only in Seattle with Tim Ruskell and Mike Holmgren, but here in Portland with Kevin Pritchard and Nate McMillan. Talk about your interaction with those staffs, if you would. Well, I think, uh, you know, you have to be very careful um, when you pick uh, your people that do talent evaluation and run uh, the sports side of your franchise. And uh, I think in Kevin and Tim Ruskell, um, you know, some some people have a have a great talent in evaluating players and seeing how talented they are, but they, all, they also try to instill a certain culture. They have an approach that they uh, and a goal in terms of the way the franchise uh, works, the, the, the character of the players, and all that. Both Tim and Kevin have that have that characteristic. So you got to be very careful as a, as a franchise owner to to bring in people like that. And then in terms of um, the management of the teams, uh, the financial management, Todd Lewicki, and and we're making an announcement here today. I think we've we're, we've got some really great caliber people managing the business side uh, that you know that that way and and delivering a great experience for the fans. So um, so all of those things are key ingredients to get your franchise firing on all cylinders. And, and fortunately, I think we're we're uh, in, we've been in great shape in Seattle for the last few years, and and now we're I hope we're reaching the culmination of doing that in Portland. Yeah, what a difference a year makes. Uh, a year ago, we talked about broken economic models. Today, you've got the Rose Garden back. Super excited here in Portland. Talk about the range of emotions that you've had in the last 12 months. I imagine it's pretty wide. Exactly. No, I mean, a year ago, I um, I told um, some of the media here that, uh, you know, they, they shouldn't draw any conclusion from the fact that I was here for the draft, uh, that, that I might not end up owning the, the franchise, uh, that I might end up. Uh, selling it, but we had a great draft. Uh, we were able to do some uh, uh, things to to eventually get the Rose Garden back. So our, we're a much firmer financial footing. Uh, hopefully, the Rose Garden will will fill back up here with, you know, with our having the amazing uh, luck to get the first pick in the draft, and, and a draft that has a couple of uh, at least a couple of very very unusually talented players in it. So we're evaluating both of those this week. So it's been a, it's been an amazing turnaround. Uh, from the time before the draft a year ago, so basically, to, you know, the draft was a was a kind of a harbinger that we had a year ago was a, was a harbinger of things to come. I just want to ask you a few more questions. Um, you are involved in a variety of different projects. I think they're amazing. I think you're one of the most diverse people on this planet. Um, anything from the the Brain Institute to your space programs. What a legacy you're leaving. What's the criteria you look for to fund a project and become so passionate about a project you're involved with? Well, I think you look for something that you know that can affect. Uh, I mean, if you're looking at things in, in science or uh, research or you know products like like we did at, at, at Microsoft and some of the the web related things we're doing now, you look for something that's going to have a positive effect uh, on the world and people are going to want to use. And and there's a there's an economic model there that works. Um, so uh, so I've been fortunate to be able, and then of course I do some philanthropic things too. So I've been fortunate to be able to. Um, have a bunch of opportunities to do many different things, and that's what I—that's really what I like. I like a, 
uh, probably a more diverse set of, of different enterprises than than most people do. But I think it's uh, incredibly fun. And obviously, sports franchises, you, you know, like any sports franchise, goes through up years and and down years. And and uh, when you're in a down year, you got to tough it out. But when you're on the upswing and things are going um, in a positive direction and you're having success, you got to savor those too. So I I feel like I've been fortunate to have been involved with two franchises that, that have had uh, a history of success. Last question, uh, like we just discussed, you're going to leave an amazing legacy on this planet. You fought Hodgkin's disease. You probably have a, a better appreciation for life than, than maybe some of us. When it's all said and done, what's the legacy that, that Paul Allen wants to leave? Well, I, you know, I, again, I think, you know, it, you, know you, just, you just try to um, create things or look for opportunities to do things um, for the world at large that, that are going to make the world a better place. And I, and I certainly think uh, the things I've done, you know, in technology and some of my philanthropic things, um, that's been true. And I, I hope as, as, a, as an owner of a sports franchise, um, you, you want to do something that, that the, the community, you know, have a franchise that the community can feel extremely proud of. You can have a, a winning tradition. Um, and and it just it, but personally, of course, it's just so exciting to be involved with a team that's 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 doing well and, and as as I said before, is on the upswing. So it's it's a mix of those a mix of those things, and uh, I, I just feel very fortunate to uh, to be in the position to have been in the position to to have such a wide range of interest and and be able to do such positive things. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Welcome back to Sports Business Radio. Our guest today is Larry Williams. Larry is the athletic director for the University of Portland. Larry, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Nathan. Thanks for having me. Love to visit with you. You bet. And, Larry, one of the things we talk about on this show all the time Unfortunately, for smaller schools, we talk a lot about big schools with big football programs, big budgets, big sponsorship dollars, and we don't talk a lot about some of the smaller programs in the country that have some big-time sports, and University of Portland happens to be one of those programs. Right now, the University of Portland men's and women's soccer team is in the NCAA tournament. Of course, both teams are contending for a national title. The University of Portland women's team was number two all season long. And then men's cross country is another team that's in the top 10 every year consistently. So I guess the first thing I'd like to ask, Larry, is, is what are some of the challenges as a smaller school of competing for recruiting and for those types of sponsorship dollars with bigger schools? Well, Nathan, first let me say thanks for, uh, thanks for recognizing. We love 
uh, being able to compete against the Goliaths of the world. Uh, we are we are we are a school of about 3,000 undergrads, and we are competing against schools uh, of the likes of UCLA and Ohio State that are well in excess of 40,000. Uh, and so, not only in the student body, but in the uh, in the uh, scales of their athletic programs, we are we are the uh, we are the Davids. Uh, and it's really fun because uh, we have a bunch of committed folks that uh, that have found uh, great formulas for success. Um, the biggest challenge, I think, uh, if I could if I could sort of jump ahead, is really trying to um, match those schools uh, from a revenue and investment standpoint. Um, recognizing that Ohio State is well in excess of a hundred thousand dollars in a hundred million dollars in their uh, uh, investment in athletics. Uh, ours is a, is a paltry uh, 10% of that. Uh, yet, uh, yet when the uh, stripes are drawn on the field, we can uh, we can compete with the best of them, and, and, and we have a lot of pride in that. To build on that, you came from Notre Dame. Correct me if I'm wrong. That probably had quite a bit of an unlimited budget compared to University of Portland. How is it that that the budget constrains you at a small school as to where at a big school it's it's no big deal? What are some of the challenges of having a budget that small? Well. They, they're numerous, and in every turn that you that you make, you you uh, you uh, address this challenge. So, is it, is it when you, when you're creating your schedule uh, before the season, you have to keep in mind that hey, you've got a budget that you got to live within. You can't travel across the country and play on consecutive weekends because, doggone it, that's expensive to to uh, to take a team that far on a commercial airline. Whereas at a big school, that thing's a charter. And uh, you don't have to worry about missed class time because the plane lands. Uh, it picks you up, it takes you to place, and, and then it brings you back right away. You don't miss nearly as much class time, and uh, you don't have nearly the worries of, uh, uh, of financial constraints that uh, we do at uh, University of Portland. So I'd say the number one thing is probably scheduling. That, uh, that really uh, rears its head quickly. Uh, the other thing is um, in, in salaries. Um, at, uh, at larger schools, they are able to afford to um, invest in coaches that have proven track records, um, and those coaches rightly demand high salaries. We have to be much more discerning in the in the uh, coaches that we pick uh, because they haven't yet had the track record, track record, and so we have to uh, be really bright uh, and and astute in uh, selecting those that we know will be good coaches. Uh, and may have have not uh, amassed that earning potential just yet because they don't have they have not yet amassed that uh, that track record. Hey, Larry, Bobby, with you as well. Speaking of that, you have coaches, for example, on your women's soccer team that have been fairly good in the last you know decade, and you have guys that are now not only part of the U.S. national soccer team, but are very high-level coaches and very sought after. What do you have to do as the athletic director to not only keep them, but what entices them to stay at the University of Portland? Well, great question, Bobby, and it's, it's got many layers to the answer. Um, but, uh, but Because really, when you, when, you, when you think about it, college athletics is a coach's business. Um, if you look across the country, uh, those great programs, no matter what the sport, are headed by uh, amazing people that get the college game. You know, pro basketball is a players' league. Pro football is a, a general manager's league. Pro baseball is an owner's league. The balance of power in college athletics lies with the coach. Uh, so selecting the right one and keeping them is the hugest challenge, I think, for any athletic director um, in, in uh, a, a seat analogous to mine. Um, 
our coaches in particular have a great passion for uh, what the university is trying to do. So number one, there's some there's some emotional equity invested by the coach. The university, through the, as many resources as it can amass, the great philanthropic help of our of our donors, uh, the administrative uh, uh, support that they provide, we we try to amass as fair of a um, compensation package as we can pull together. Uh, but we're looking we're looking under the cushions for uh, for quarters. Uh, and other schools are, are, are probably just uh, going to the ATM and, and, uh, and, and using their card to make some withdrawals. But, uh, but above all, the coaches uh, that we have, uh, we try to compensate them as fairly as we possibly can, but they're also making an investment in the program uh, because they believe in what we're trying to do. To kind of build on that, uh, Larry, the coaches are obviously recruited just like the players are. Sure. And one of the challenges I imagine at a small school, or I know at a small school, is trying to get these elite high-level athletes to come to that university. And these, these student-athletes are going on recruiting trips all over the country sure. to North Carolina, to Duke, to big universities, and then they come to small University of Portland, tucked away in Portland. What is it that entices these student-athletes to stay there? We know that the soccer program might be a stepping stone for some of these athletes to make it to that next level, but maybe some of the other sports that aren't as much if you will, a stepping stone. What entices these athletes to come to this university? Boy, another another good question, uh, Nathan. This one, uh, I think, again goes back to uh, to coaching. One, the student athlete that comes on a, on a visit comes and sees committed coaches that are really talented, and they have a desire uh, as student athletes to be as best uh, the best athlete they can be. And they know that if they invest their effort with that coach they're going to have the opportunity to play at those pro ranks that you're, that you're speaking of. And the other thing that they see, not only great coaches, but they see a commitment institutionally that everyone's focused on giving them the opportunity uh, to be successful. And so the University of Portland, I find, uh, you know, and I, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm probably speaking myopically, but I think we do a really good job of staying very focused on developing success within each of these programs. And the, and the uh, student-athlete who comes and selects University of Portland does so in part because they recognize that there's a great focus on being good. Speaking of wanting to have guys stay focused, we talk a lot on the show about exposure. And yes, you are the University of Portland, and yes, you play in the West Coast Conference, but you guys a couple of years ago started doing something that nobody else at the time was doing. You started streaming sports online for not only your fans, but also for your boosters, because as we all know, boosters make up a huge part of your athletic department. Just kind of talk about how that idea evolved and how the whole system has evolved since you guys started doing that. Well, let me start, let me start by, uh, by answering that one of the reasons why an institution participates at a Division I level is to create um, uh, awareness, awareness of, uh, of the institution through sports. And so if we're doing our job in the athletic department, we are uh, feeding uh, that desire of the institution. So we want to find every opportunity that is available to us uh, to, to enhance awareness. So we, we try as hard as we can to, to appear on uh, television, be it broadcast, be it cable, uh, whatever the means. We try as hard as we can to get as many games as we can on television. Now, if we're precluded because of uh, available windows, uh, we also want to make sure that we are maximizing the Internet. What a great communication tool that is. And um, as we go forward in the future, we know that that's going to play a huge part. We don't know, we don't know how that thing's going to play out, 
but we want to be in the game. We want to have uh, sort of forefront knowledge of, uh, of, of how that thing's going to break so that we can be there at the, at the forefront to, to, to make sure that we are enhancing the awareness of the institution through whatever means possible uh, with, the, uh, with the language of sports. And, you know, most people who don't know a lot about the state of Oregon know that there are a number of Division One schools. You have Oregon, Oregon State, University of Portland, and Portland State. So you're not only having to go after advertising dollars that, you know, sponsors here locally have, but also nationally, just kind of talk about how you are able to convince a sponsor to say, hey, listen, we know that you have this option with the other bigger Division One schools. What about the University of Portland is attractive to sponsors? Yeah, well, what we try to, what we try to um, convey very clearly uh, is that, hey, we're a quality play. We may, we may not be the biggest stock that you could buy, but we're the quality one. And the, the efforts that you make through sponsorship investments – are meant to enhance your brand. No better quality uh, can be presented alongside your brand than our brand, the University of Portland, and, and what we're doing here. Uh, so, so our our um, sales pitch, if you will, uh, to the sponsor is: Look, if you want uh, integrity and quality, we're, we're the we're the brand for you. We're going to play at that highest level. We're going to be in the College Cup in soccer. We're in, and I'm, this is sort of a. a a commitment on my part, we're going to be there in the NCAA basketball tournament. You're going to see quality, Mr. Sponsor or Ms. Sponsor. Uh, and, and, and if you put your brand with us, your brand will be enhanced, uh, and so will ours. Uh, and so the partnership will work for, uh, for the both of us. Our guest is Larry Williams. Larry is the athletic director at the University of Portland up in Portland, Oregon. Larry, one of the other things that uh, I know I've been hearing a buzz about, obviously the university's changed a bunch since I was a student athlete there almost 10 years ago, is the expansion of the university. And one thing, I haven't heard anything about this, but I I know that there's some new property uh, down along the waterfront. Would you ever consider as a small school uh, expanding your sports program? In other words, I know some of the other WCC schools do have football programs, would that be something that a small school like University of Portland would consider, even though the soccer program is really the, the cream of the crop at University of Portland? <laughs> You're talking to a football guy here. I know I am. <laughs> you absolutely know that I would love to be able to do that, but it has to make sense, right? It has to, it has to make financial sense. It has to make strategic sense. Um, yes, we, 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 we as an institution have purchased uh, a great piece of property down on the river. It's going to be our river campus, and there's some great opportunity down there. Um, but the investment in a, in, a, uh, in a football program is substantial. If this weekend I win the Powerball, University of Portland's got football. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, there are a lot of things that would have to that would have to fall into place before we would uh, uh, consider uh, expanding in that direction. Well, speaking to the dollars and cents of the WCC, uh, you know, one of the other things we talk about a lot on this show is. Uh, profit sharing amongst university football programs that make it into the BCS and the fact that they have to share some of the wealth, if you will, uh, when a school like USC makes the national championship game. Can you talk to the viewers about or the listeners about how that uh, is approached in the WCC with the basketball tournament? How's the profit sharing work at a smaller school? Yeah, interesting. That's a really interesting question because each conference, uh, and there's 32 of them at the Division One level, each conference handles that a little bit differently. The West Coast Conference, eight schools, very like-minded, very like-missioned, uh, have uh, maybe uh, 25 years ago decided that any profit that we make, any revenue that we make, 
from the NCAA basketball tournament, and really that's the key source, the only source uh, of, of any great note, although we're trying to create some other ones, but um, that's the biggest one. Uh, these eight schools decided, look, we're going we're gonna to share that uh, eight ways, and uh, that sharing is going to allow us to support the championships in all of the other sports uh, that don't have that revenue potential. So we're going to be able to host a uh, tennis championship, a cross-country championship, uh, a golf championship, and we're going to use the money from the basketball championships uh, to fund that. So we'll fly all the participants in, we'll house them, we'll lodge them, we'll conduct the event, uh, and everyone is, is better off. So the eight institutions of like mind and mission uh, have made a strategic decision that, hey, we're going to approach this thing together and we're going to use this money for the, uh, for the betterment of all of us. Other programs, I mean, other, other uh, conferences have a little bit more of an uh, incentive mind to it. A little, uh, um, and, and so, uh, for instance, uh, those that are participating in the BCS game or those that are participating in the, in the um, NCAA basketball tournament, they get a bigger share than those that don't. And so you, 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 what you end up with is a little bit of a Major League Baseball where you have a Pittsburgh Pirates versus a uh, um, New York Yankees, right? Big small market, big I'm, market, small market. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, that's, and I think that's the challenge. You talked earlier about, uh, you know, being able to pay coaches. And we look at a school like Gonzaga, who is a coach like Mark Few, who I'm sure makes quite a bit more than a lot of the coaches at University of Portland. So it's an interesting take on seeing how that revenue is distributed. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, you know, to Gonzaga's credit, they have done quite a great job of, uh, of uh, enhancing the coffers of the, uh, of, of the uh, conference, the WCC, uh, in that they've been very successful over a number of years. Well, quite frankly, you, we at Portland want to take over that, uh, that, <laughs> that uh, earner's share, uh, but, uh, but be that as it is, uh, they've done a great job of uh, being very much a partner uh, with the seven other institutions and in investing in all the other programs based on their success. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. I know that you've got a big game this weekend against the University of Oregon Ducks at uh, the Child Center, so we wish you the best of luck. Oh, thanks for recognizing. Hey, always great to visit with you guys. I love the subject and love the fact that, you're, uh, that you've got the, the show because this is a really interesting uh, area of the world. Yep, and we'll catch up soon. Thank you again. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, we'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Well, welcome back to Sports Business Radio. Segment five here, our last and final segment, and we've got an interesting story for you here. 
An unidentified Canadian real estate company was the winning bidder for the Silver Dome. They snatched it up for a mere fraction of its value. Now, the Silver Dome was the former home of the NFL's Detroit Lions. The original price tag on this dome was over $50 million. Now, this Toronto-based family bought it for $583,000 for the underused stadium. $583,000. I know houses near me. That are more expensive than five hundred eighty-three thousand dollars, Bobby. That's a horrible one return on investment. If you you know originally built something for around fifty-five million and you sell it for five hundred thousand dollars, that that's a bad business deal gone wrong. But I will say this: as a former Lions fan, I'm glad to see my former stadium now in good hands, and hopefully they can keep it up. Will it help them win a Super Bowl? Maybe if they moved back in there, they'd have a chance. You know what? Ford Field is really nice, and I think Ford Field will eventually be the home of the Super Bowl Detroit Lions. Now, call me crazy. It's going to be a long time, but hey, you know what? I can live a dream. And Wrigley will eventually be the home to exactly. the World Series winning Cubs. The company plans to refurbish the Silver Dome into a stadium for men's Major League Soccer and women's professional soccer team so hopefully there will be some sports played in it again unlike maybe some of the beijing arenas and you know what's funny is the silver dome has had good events i mean they like you just said it hosted uh the world cup soccer when it was here and you know what? listen it's a great facility the problem is it's in the middle of nowhere pontiac michigan is a very very small town and it's struggling but listen hopefully with the new owners it will bring jobs, and kind of restore its luster. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Thank you again to all of our guests for joining us. Larry Williams, the athletic director at the University of Portland. We caught up with Paul Allen a couple years back and replayed that. Unfortunately, we heard this week that Paul Allen has been diagnosed again with cancer. So we'll keep you posted on his state. Thanks again to our show staff, Brian Berger, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris and Doug Zangers, of course, our sponsors. We couldn't do it without them. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and New School Media Coaching. A reminder for podcasts and Twitter and blogging, go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can catch our Twitter feed, our blog posting, and, of course, become a Facebook friend. Brian and I will be back in the seat again next week, so make sure you stay tuned. If you missed the show, check out the podcast. I'm Nathan Roach. You've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses, happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. That's why you're a smart business person. (laughs) Or at sportsbusinessradio.com. 